Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. online training our our webinar here and today um, we're going to talk about the uh, proposed medicare cuts and uh, very much how it affects us as practice owners and uh to very special guest um the, the uh yeah first first people we ever worked with uh through breakthrough actually flew here to harrisburg many years ago right mary and alicia um but uh mary delong and alicia uh, Mahoney from um, BCMS. So they are experts. Mary's been doing this uh, for 40 years, right? Right. <laughs> uh, um, that, yeah, you, you probably have seen them um, at PPS or other association events uh, talking about compliance and uh, in particular billing um, as well. I've personally worked with them uh, through my private practice. They've been amazing. Um, and the way that I always introduce Mary is after Mary came through and uh, helped us um, make our billing more compliant and our revenue more stable, uh, we were audited by Medicare and Medicare actually wrote us a check back. Um, not huge, but we actually got more money after the, uh, the Medicare audit, which was absolutely amazing. So welcome here. And uh, thank you both for being here. Thank you. Our pleasure. Great. So the way that um, we're going to set this up is uh, we're going to talk through in the beginning here, um, Mary and Alicia are going to walk through essentially what's happening, what has been proposed. And then we're going to talk about essentially what can we do as uh, well, how, how's this going to affect us as practice owners? And then we're going to talk about um, how, you know, what, what can we do about it? So planning forward, how, um, how, whether it's advocacy or what we can do in our private practice, we're going to try to get through that in about 30 minutes, and then we'll open this up for Q&A because I'm sure you have a lot of questions. As we're going through, there are two places that you can interact with us. Number one is the chat. So if we ask, you know, where you're, where's your practice at, how long you've been in practice, you can go do that right now. You can type that in the chat. Um, the other place is if you do have a question, just type that in the Q&A. And we'll go through and moderate here um, in the second portion of the call and make sure you get your questions answered, um, literally um, in our time together here. And Mary and Alicia, you can take it away. Okay, uh, Mary, I'll, I'll start with a quick introduction to BCMS. Okay, awesome. Okay, so um, a lot of you know us, but if you don't, we are a compliance consulting firm that specializes in outpatient physical therapy. That's all we do. We've been in practice, if you will, since 1985, um, when we were our own private practice, but then converted to just compliance in 2000. Um, we have a litany of services. Our marquee product is our compliance program. That's where we provide you with everything that you're supposed to have with policies and procedures, um, and all the regulations in a turnkey product. We like to call it the TurboTax for compliance. But then we also, as you can see, do on-site audits, chart audits, like what Chad was talking about, provider enrollment, um, and you know, security risk analysis, and just general consultation as well. Um, so I will be giving you guys a checklist at the end of this 
that is a compliance like to do so that you have it. If you need to have assistance with that, you can certainly reach out to me at some point. Okay, that's us. So when Chad asked me to do this presentation, I said, oh my gosh, it's so boring. And all I'm doing is delivering bad news. I want to do something fun. <laughs> and he said, oh, you'll figure out a way to do something. And I said, oh, well, thank you very much. So these are the things, the things in uh, the red are things that I, I will touch on. There are a number of things, obviously, in the 2000 plus pages of this proposed uh, fee schedule that we could be impacted by. These are the ones that are the focal points. Obviously, the conversion factor and, yes, decreased again. The assistant payment differential. I know it breaks your heart, breaks my heart, but the bottom line is it's here to stay. It is not going to go away. Assistant supervision, we need to advocate and we need to talk about things, which I will a little later. I won't touch on therapeutic, excuse me, remote therapeutic monitoring um, or enrollment or chronic pain opportunities unless we have time. Um, they are not slides, but I can certainly entertain some uh, general comments and uh, questions. And then, of course, we will talk a little bit about telehealth. Next slide, please. So let's talk about proactive. I got a question yesterday uh, before we kicked off. We're unhappy. What do we do if, if this doesn't change? How can we control things or make an impact? And the bottom line is you have to write to your US members of Congress and you need to be succinct. Um, I, I struggle with some of these letters that go out as templates that go through two and three paragraphs about what we have done and who we are and whatever. Get to the point. You want your legislator to know you're their constituent. You also want them to remember that patients are their constituents. So when we present logically, respectfully, is also succinctly and, and in a, you know, considering how much they have to read. And we want to generate a clear message, put it up front. Um, we have a certain amount of time uh, up until September 6th at five o'clock Eastern time to send information to them. And you'll see I have contact information here which those links will be uh, live in the chat box and there's some more information on the next slide. But one thing I do wanna tell you, oh, can you go back? Okay, one thing I do wanna reiterate, and this is something that worked very effectively for us uh, here in Texas when we were working on direct access in 1989. And we did get direct access now we call it kind of compromised or limited or whatever, but it was direct access for Texas therapists. Um, and we had a senator who was extremely um, negative about direct access. And we asked him to speak at a town hall meeting and we jammed the room with people and they, Everyone that was in his district had a big yellow number seven. That was his district on their chest. And then we had to the, and I can't remember what it was, nth degree. And he said, what is that about? And I said, well, this is what it's about. You see all these people here? We see your constituents every day. We talk to them every day. 
we can influence them every day. They want direct access. And guess what? He did vote for it. So you can push that. These are your constituents. We see them. We can influence them because everybody loves their PT. Okay, Chad, next slide, please. Uh, these are, this is how you can get to them from regular mail, express mail, and the previous slide gave you phone numbers, that type of thing, email addresses. Um, I would tell you that you're probably going to get, if you call, you're going to, you probably will talk to uh, one of their legislative aides. Just be sure you ask for the healthcare legislative aid or you'll lose them. Okay, next slide, please. So let's talk about the conversion factor. So we know decreased again. Um, it's $1.53 from the previous, from this year. Okay, that doesn't sound like a whole lot until you start looking at the number of units. And that makes a whole lot of difference. A 4.242, excuse me, percent uh, reduction is significant to any business. Um, I think one of the things that's important when you do um, contact your legislators is to say this will be the lowest conversion factor since the early 1990s. That's making a statement. So be succinct in how you talk to them, uh, drive the point home, relate that you are a constituent and that patients are constituents and drive home this information. You'll see on the next uh, slide, don't go there yet, Chad. Um, we have some things that you can also include in, in your message to them. An important thing, and Chad will elaborate on this, is you have to analyze your practice. You've got to know your revenue stream and you've got to know your cost. Now, here's where I get on my soapbox. Think compliantly, but do think out of the box. We are, we are, uh, we answer a lot of questions. What if I do this? And what if I do that? And we'll say, well, do you want to do it from jail or do you want to do it from your clinic site? Um, some things are really out of the box, but for the most part, people are really trying to think of ways to showcase their practice, to prove the wealth and the quality of what we do to our patients. So, uh, we just need to continue doing that because if we just sit there and wait for something to happen, it will not happen. So let's go to the next slides, um, Chad. Um, I gotta move these, our faces because they're in my slides. I can't see, I think I can remember them. Um, so this is uh, historical inflation rates since 2016. And if you look at these, you can see that for the most part, we were doing okay. Um, started climbing um, you know, a couple of different times in 18, um, and it started at the end of 17, but we were staying, you know, in the onesies. So that, that was very good. They started climbing, went back down. 2020, it was, you know, in the twosies. And then uh, in 2021, look what happened. We're up at 4.2, we're climbing, you know, into the sixes. And of course this year, we know where we are right now, 
So if you go to the next slide, and, and I did this so you have those numbers. Uh, this is historical conversion factor rates per the AMA. So if you think, and I, I was going to try to put these slides side by side, but I just couldn't get all the numbers in. Um, but you can certainly print these off and look at them if you want to look at them side by side. But you can see we had uh, a uh, 0.36 uh, reduction in 2016. Then we were positive, positive. Now, I'm not the one to say that I think 11 cents is a positive thing uh, for an increase, but at least it's not a reduction. 20, uh, we were at uh, 14 cents. 21, we are minus uh, uh, three. And then we look at uh, 22, a minus 80 cents. So that's uh, that should kind of tell you that we've got a problem when the inflation's going up and our reimbursement is, is going down. Look at the projection for 23. We're looking at a 4.42% reduction or $1.53. You don't see any numbers like that on there. So uh, again, you can feel free to use those numbers. Um, and I wouldn't give them a whole table, but I, you know, pick some and certainly refer back to the 1990 state of affairs. Okay, next slide, please. So I know everybody is trying to advocate for this, and I'm probably, you know, y'all are probably stabbing me in the back and the heart and everywhere when I say this, but I think we have to accept it. And the reason I'm saying we have to accept it is because other professions have been dealing with this for years. And we were able to uh, skate through it and not have to deal with it. But there's no way we can say it's right for the PAs, it's right for the nurses, it's right for this other profession, but it's not right for us. So uh, it's not something that we want to happen. It certainly is another source of decrease but I think we need to focus on things that can increase our revenue and also look at things that we need to do to deal with this particular situation. Now, I know in working with Chad, they always had a team of people, which included PTAs. I don't know if y'all still do, Chad, do you? Okay. Yep. So, it, and that challenges you just because you have to count. You have to say how much of this and how much of that. That's an administrative burden. But knowing them, they've got it down to a science. But I will tell you what my experience has been. Uh, we do a lot of offsite audits. And this is certainly a source of focus on, on for Medicare that they are looking at how well we document who was doing what, how much time it was, all of those things. So it does make you a little more susceptible to uh, a negative outcome if you're not you know, spot on as far as your numbers, how you document it. Um, many, many times people uh, document one thing and maybe a flow sheet says something else and maybe uh, numbers don't add up. So that becomes a real problem and it puts a jaundice eye on the auditor if they're auditing you. Um, we have also found subject to audits that um, many assistants are signing reevaluations, progress reports, and 
evaluations. Now, I don't know too many therapists that use PPAs to help with evaluations, but you sure could because we are looking at um, objective information. If they help with the standardized test, they certainly could. And I would say that's well and fine on evaluations and reevaluations if it weren't for the payment differential. Why would you give away one of the best financial sources we have for payment? So I would encourage you not to do that. And please remember, reevaluations do not equal progress reports. Reevaluations are payable, progress reports are not. Which brings me to my next bullet point, which is use them at, to the maximum allowable legal degree to help with progress reports. They can do, obviously, objective general information, but test and measure, standardized tests. From that point on, it goes to the PT. Assistants should never sign a progress report. The progress report should state, uh, have the physical therapist's name and date. And if a physical therapist assistant did assist with it, it should say assisted by. Do not put their name because that leads Medicare and auditors to believe that the progress report was performed by the PTA or OTA and signed off by the PT. So very important, but that is the way to capture some time. It's not billable, so you're not gonna lose anything on it. Okay, this one, assistant supervision. We need to fight for this and fight for it until your knees, hands, and feet are bloody. Uh, this one is so very important. Right now, um, Medicare is uh, proposing that they will continue with the uh, virtual supervision, um, but we don't know for how long, and we don't know why it has to be virtual. Why can't it be general? You know, our points are state licensure laws with very few exceptions allow for general supervision of PTA. So why would Medicare do something different? Well, bottom line is they can. And the other thing is at one time, we have agencies um, really had more oversight than they do now. If you walk into a rehab agency, and my practice was a rehab agency, um, but if you walk into a rehab agency and a PT if, or a practice, if, a private practice, you can't tell the difference. There's no one there. There's no um, supervision police out there. Uh, the conditions of participation that, that rehab agencies are under do um, certainly have uh, some some more guidance, and they do require a certain amount, you know, two people on it, at uh, continually with uh, when the patients are there. But the supervision, the safety of the patient, is it's identical. There's nothing there that that anyone would see that says, "Oh, and we have agency. You really have all of this, and so therefore we can have general supervision." It makes no sense. The other thing is physical therapists in private practice have to be credentialed and they have to enroll in Medicare individually. And this gives a lot more oversight to looking at 
who are ineligible suppliers. So we go through the uh, screening and all of that, and it would uh, obviously lead them to have names on claims, and they can also you know, track the, who's on the list of excluded individuals and entities um, according to the Office of Inspector General. Because there are no names on the claim for rehab agency, they can't do that. So I think that they should be a higher risk, and I don't want to put any of our, our rehab agencies in the high-risk category, so I'd never say that. But it, to me, it makes sense that there is a hole there. Um, also, when we talk about the, the fraud surveillance, that's one of the enrollment um, uh, goals that you will ident identify potential fraud. And again, if you don't have the name of the therapist and you don't have um, those things that identify the PT assistant, then how do you know if it's being performed correctly? It is very focused on what we're doing, but not focused uh, equitably amongst other settings. Okay, next slide, please. Telehealth. So as you know, we're not on the permanent list of providers or suppliers who can uh, provide services via telehealth. We have the temporary public health emergency waiver that allows us to continue through this year, um, through the year uh, that the public health emergency ends, plus 151 days. Um, so we still have it for a while. Um, it is starting to be a topic of conversation now amongst Medicare uh, officials about whether there is a, a lot of fraud and whether people are adhering to the criteria they should be uh, adhering to. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to start seeing a lot more audits uh, of telehealth services. Um, recently, the House passed Advancing Telehealth Beyond COVID, and it would extend waivers until uh, 24, regardless of the status of the public health emergency. Um, so if you have an opportunity to talk to your senators, get them behind this, and maybe it will go beyond and beyond. Um, remember, telehealth does um, allow patients to receive uh, excuse me, telehealth via the virtual communications in their home and across geographic areas. I would think that some of that's going to be tweaked uh, when this all, when the pandemic is uh, declared ended. Um, but you know, we'll see. There's a lot of things in in the um, proposed rules uh, that they are entertaining. Um, the other thing is with telehealth, right now we, we uh, have codes all in our routine codes, our exercise and neuro and, and a lot of those codes are, um, have not met the litmus test um, to be added to Medicare's telehealth services under category one or two. Um, they are, however, proposing that they would give us um, group and therapeutic activities, which is interesting, and wheelchair assessments and some uh, speech and language codes as well. 
um, moving them from a temporary um, code to a category three code through 23. So there's some positives, there's some negatives. There's gonna be some manipulation, you know, for sure on that. And they're changing some of the ways we will have to append modifiers and place of services. Um, when that kind of comes down, that, that's not something you need to negotiate, but it's certainly something you need to, to be aware of. And we put out newsletters and we keep our clients uh, appraised of that kind of information. So when it happens, you know well in advance and prepare for that um, with your software. Um, I think a couple of things that, that are we get asked all the time, um, well, I want to do telehealth and I'm here and the patient's there. And, uh, you know, the first thing I ask is, where are you licensed? And the state in which you are licensed, you must permit telehealth for the practice act. So that's a key. If you are not licensed in the state that does that, then you may not perform it. The other thing is people say, well, I'm, I'm in Florida and I want to treat a patient in New York, well, that's well and fine. If indeed, again, your practice act permits it in the state in which you're licensed, and those two states are members of the physical therapy compact. And I do, oh, Alicia, this is another one you might want to link. Uh, there is a list of compact approved states um, at this link here. I actually have just um, done those links. They're in the chat box. Make sure everybody checks the chat box. I did um, all of the links that were in this and also the handouts is also um, are also in the chat box. Wonderful, thank you so much. Okay, next one, please. Oh, go back if you would. And so these are, this is just a snapshot of the modifiers that I just mentioned. We, we used uh, 95 now. Um, that will be deleted and we will use place to service it after the 151 days after the pandemic ends. Um, and they disidentify whether the patient's in the home or not in the home. I will say one thing, the place of service 10, this is so confusing because place of service 10 um, is in the clinic when we do that on our claim form. So I don't know if this is a mistake or not, but if you look at place of service those two, um, that is not in the, in the patient's home. So that's going to be confusing when we normally do our regular clinical billing and our place of service for, and when we're performing it on, uh, in the clinic is a 10. And when we do it in the home, it is 11. So I don't know why they're doing this. Uh, I don't understand uh, these particular things, but we will find out when this is all said and done. Someone else has hit, uh, picked that up, I'm sure. Okay, Chad. And I'd like to wrap up saying that, yes, I ask you to please look at your revenue and look at your cost. And compliance does cost you. It does cost you, but it can be a savings. And as Chad stole my thunder, I was gonna tell you about his, his success. Uh, it can sometimes give you a little bit of edge on revenue. Um, the, the three things that I'm hitting here are these can cost you. Anytime you have a fine or a denial or penalties, they cost you. 
Medicare audits, I have never in my entire career seen so many Medicare audits in one year as we have today, uh, as of today. I mean, there were so many, and we were looking at supplemental medical review contractors. Normally, they're associated with the um, aberrant uh, billing behavior over the 3,000 uh, therapy threshold. No, they had a special focus and it was on the evaluation and um, the dates of evaluation, so the initial data service. And in, after looking at uh, the findings of these and the people that passed and didn't pass these audits, um, they were definitely looking at who's signing off on an evaluation, uh, whether those people were credentialed, whether, whether the person that did the evaluation was the same person that did, um, that did the uh, billing. So lots of audits, uh, HIPAA violations, again, were they're out there auditing. Um, I think the one that applies most to what the two is um, failure or lack of security risk analysis, and they are honing in on that and then uh, maintaining, obtaining and maintaining the current business associate agreement. And finally, OSHA, as you know, we talked about OSHA a couple of years in a row with Chad during, during uh, COVID. And these are the top, top three for us in the top 10 of OSHA violations, hazard communication and PPE. And please remember, those of you who had loans, you signed, on that loan, it says you comply with OSHA. So again, um, take a look, give Alicia a call, see what our compliance program can offer you and um, use, utilize the compliance checklist that we're sending to evaluate where you are in your compliance step. All right, sir. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mary. And just as a quick reminder, if you're just tuning in right now, Alicia has crushed it uh, in the chat. We'll want to make sure that we um, provide all those links to you in any sort of replay um, and send those out. And again, um, what's uh, Alicia's email to contact? I, I know it was in the beginning. I put it, I actually put it in the chat box. I'll put it again. Um, here is the compliance checklist. That's the most recent um, thing that I put in here and my, um, I'm going to put my email address if, if you couldn't find something or you need it. Um, if you're interested in anything that um, Mary was discussing today on, on our services, certainly reach out to me. Great. And uh, yeah, again, Mary, thank you. Oh, it was on the very next slide. Um, there it is again on your screen. Um, I know we have six or seven questions in already. If you have any other questions for Mary or I, um, we uh, will get to the Q&A here in a second. Um, I do want to walk you through, oh, there you even get uh, Alicia's cell phone number or office number <laughs> as well, 713-899-9812. Uh, you're not unmuted or you're not uh, muted. Uh, yeah. So um, I want to walk through and help you think about what to do with this as a practice owner. I uh, Mary did an amazing job there. You know, there, there's a proposed 4.42% decrease in revenue from Medicare. And then um, the other thing to think about is inflation, right? It's not uh, our space isn't getting less expensive. Uh, the services aren't getting less expensive. Employment expenses aren't going down in any way at all. 
Um, so want to talk through how to navigate that here quickly. Um, you know, as a practice owner, whether uh, we're PT, OT, speech, chiropractic care, whatever it might be, and you're here, you know, we're constantly balancing two things. One is people and relationships and our reputation with our team members, with the patients that we're treating, with the stakeholders in our business. And the we're constantly trying to balance that with, you know, the, essentially productivity. So this is, you know, metrics, keeping our doors open, uh, making sure we're profitable, taking, keeping an eye on our revenue, et cetera. Most of us as healthcare providers tend to be a, a little bit heavier on the left. We, you know, we would give our, we would do treatment for free. Uh, we would waive co-pays. We would pay our team, whatever that they're asking for, right? Provide benefits, all those other things. And we tend to ignore what's over on the right. If you've ever worked with somebody that is only focused um, on productivity, that's a little bit of annoying to work with as well. So there's this constant uh, balancing act that we have to go through. However, we, we do have to pay attention to productivity. If we're not, and we're, we're absorbing a 4.4% decrease while inflation is at eight or 9%, um, it's going to be a problem pretty quickly for us. And, and I, I mean, I've just within the last week or two have received multiple emails um, or direct messages from owners talking about considering closing their practice or selling pending on the do- pennies on the dollar, et cetera. So where do we start? You start with this, a financial projection of how is this going to affect me? It's proposed at 4.42%. Yes, there's a lot that we can do with advocacy. And Alicia and Mary just crushed that for you in terms of what I, I wrote down the question, uh, you know, what best practices for writing a letter. They gave you a link to actually go through and do that, how to write your congressperson um, specifically about the issues that are in here. But you want to take a a look at 2022, and this is a hypothetical practice. Let's say they're doing uh, 11,000 visits a year, roughly $90 a visit. The gross revenue is a million dollars. And then what's going to happen next year? Well, let's say we grow um, roughly 6%. I think that's the national average. And rehab is uh, 6.2% growth year over year. and if we look at that gross revenue, assuming a 4.4% Medicare cut, um, this isn't exactly right. I'm just doing quick math in my head. But uh, essentially, we're going to have, even with uh, visit growth, um, we're going to have less revenue, right? So that's a problem. You want to be able to forecast ahead. If we look at um, em- employment, you know, are, do you expect your employment expenses in 2023 to go up? stay the same or go down? You can just answer that in the chat really quick. So your employment expenses today in 20, a year from now, are they going to go up? Okay, up, exclamation point. Thank you, Melanie. Yep. Uh, so yes, they're going to go up, right? We're going to be paying people more that even if the salaries don't increase, we're going to be paying more for our health insurance benefits for our, our or team members or whatever it might be, right? It's going to be, um, those expenses are going to go up. So if we go through and we calculate, um, you know, across the board, expenses are going to go up. What does that do for us? If we were a well-run practice this year in the hypothetical example and had a 21% margin, 
um, next year we have essentially a 15% margin, right? And the problem is, is that most of us don't have a 21% margin. The average is 14%, right? And this came from uh, Mary and Alicia's friend and also my friend as well in PT, Bob Kowalik. So across the board, we know that margin is about 14%. Well, if we're losing 4% of our margin, that quickly becomes a problem, right? Um, and we're going 14 down to 10. And a few years ago, I had the opportunity to work with Greg Crabtree, who does a lot of work in the health services space. And he said, anytime that we're ten, our margin is 10% or less in a healthcare provider uh, type service-based business, um, we're at risk for going under because any little problem, and most of us experienced this two or three years ago with the early pandemic, any little issue at all, we're at risk for closing our doors. Three ways for any practice, um, and I'm gonna shortcut this just for time so we can get to the Q&A. What are the two biggest places that, um, if we're tight on margin, what are the two biggest places that any owner can look at today um, to work on increasing their, um, increasing their profitability, increasing their margin, to negate the the Medicare cut if it should go through as proposed, what are the two places to look? You can type your answer in the chat. Volume past patients. All right, that's seeing a lot of answers in there. Um, attendance rate increase. Great. So um, you're going to want to write this down. But number one is underutilized schedule, right? <clears throat> if you have a therapist on staff and their schedule isn't optimized to some degree, you, you're missing out on revenue. Absolutely. Up and down, right? So there are, um, I forget what Mary called it, compliantly out of the box. <laughs> right? So you want to look at maximum utilization of your schedule. And if you have therapists that, you know, have a 40 hour work week, and let's say your expectation is 50 visits a week, and they're routinely seeing 40 visits a week, that's a problem, right? You're missing out on revenue. And in our example, at $90 a visit with 10 potential visits a week, that's, that's $900 a week or $45,000 a year in revenue that you're missing out on. So number one is fill schedules. Number two is space. I talk with a lot of owners who are paying, and uh, one extreme example is 5,000 square feet, seeing 120 visits a week. And what is happening is within your expense column, you're, as a business, and again, we're remember in our balancing act, we're talking about productivity here. We have underutilized schedules and space, and that is a problem. Right. So, um, yeah, just look there first. There are three ways to think about doing it. Number one is we can attract more new patients through the door. Yes, from our past patient list, from cold traffic, from physician referrals, from all those other things, but fill the space, fill the schedules uh, by attracting more new patients. This is what most of us do. The second thing we can think about is increasing per patient revenue. We've, Mary and I have talked a lot about this in the past, but, you know, cash pay services. Um, is there, you know, RTM, re, uh, remote therapeutic monitoring? That's a whole other topic. We could probably do a whole other training on that um, and look at best practices there and reactivating past patients. Three ways to, to grow any business. 
Um, and most of us are not really taking advantage of that. In the end, you want to think about um, generating patient demand to fill those two, those two needs, those two spaces. Attraction is getting people in your community or on your patient list to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm interested in learning more uh, because I have a particular problem. The next thing that most of us miss out on is that conversion that can be automation and human to human conversation. And then underneath it all, we need to be measuring what's going on. And I am going to stop sharing here so we can get more faces on and we can open this up for Q&A right now because we have quite a few questions in here. Hey, podcast listeners, when we make assumptions about others, it's just not fair. In spite of that, I'm going to make an assumption about you. You have a growth mindset. You want to help more people, leave a bigger impact, build a better practice. Am I close? If I'm right, then I have a unique offer that I think you'll be interested in. But first, if you're a regular listener, you probably know that this is brought to you by Breakthrough, the leading platform for private practice growth. Breakthrough's mission is to help people in pain get back to normal, live healthier, and do it naturally. The best way to do this is by empowering private practice owners like you to grow your business through direct-to-consumer marketing. If you're a practice owner with a growth mindset, you'd benefit from a risk-free consultation with a breakthrough growth expert. Go to getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer to take advantage of this unique opportunity. On that call, you'll learn the key principles of how practice owners are helping more people, creating a bigger impact, and building better businesses with Breakthrough Systems. As an added bonus, the team at Breakthrough is giving a $50 Amazon gift card to any of the podcast listeners who attend this growth consultation. Sign up for your growth consultation and $50 gift card at getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Again, that's getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Great. All right. So we have a number of questions. Um, I'll start rolling through them. Um, the first one is from Deborah. She's asking, does the telehealth rule apply only to Medicare? And I'm assuming that is directed at me. Uh, so no, uh, Medicare has its own criteria and rules as it relates to telehealth. Uh, many payers have gone forward with allowing telehealth um, more elaborately than Medicare. So you do have to know your payer. Um, most of them, no, I can't say most, many have um, published information about telehealth and what they allow. So unfortunately, that means you have to do your homework. You know, I'd certainly want to research that for your top payers. Uh, if you do telehealth. All right, thank you. Um, the next question is from Melissa and I'm going to drop it into the chat um, because it's a long question. So just want everyone to be able to read it. Mm -hmm. um, so the question is with our electronic medical records, if the PTA does the objective measurements and the therapist completes the progress report, the PTA's name will show up on the document. Why can't both names show on the progress report document or have a statement that states the involvement of the therapist making clinical decisions and evaluation of their progress with the assistance of the PTA? Got it, Mary? 
Yes, I've got it. And I've been dealing with that one with our audits because truly Medicare said there has to be proof that the PTA did not do more than they are allowed to do from a regulatory perspective. So the second part of that question is yes, if you document and because you are you're limited by uh, how your EMR sets out of the, the platform and signatures and all those types of things. So if, if you are confined by that and you cannot eliminate the PTA from signing the progress report, then you want to be certain in your documentation that you state what they have done and that will take care of it. That won't show up uh, until they do an audit, you know, but you want to have that in there in case they do. So uh, yes, if, you, if their name has to show up, you just need to have the documentation to justify what they did and that uh, the therapist did all of the assessment, um, goal changing, all of that. I mean, you don't have to have, it doesn't have to be a dissertation. Um, I'd come up with a succinct statement and use it universally throughout your clinic. Okay, thank you. Next question is from Justin. Justin asks, uh, do you have any advice on encouraging therapists to be more productive without the risk of burnout or perceived burnout. I know that's something we hear we hear about a lot lately. Yeah, so I, um, I've talked about this in the podcast and previous trainings. And what we literally do, Justin, is we will sit down with a therapist and say, here's the revenue, here's the expenses with their, and most therapists, I mean, if you go back to your days when you work for somebody else, I completely discounted the space, utilities, equipment cost that we were paying a receptionist for my schedule, that we were paying assistance, everything else, just completely ignore that. So we show them revenue and expenses or costs um, for their team. And then we, we ideally, you want ownership mentality, right? So let's solve this together, not they're presenting me with a problem and I have to do a certain pitch or dance or whatever it might be to convince them to work harder. I just say, hey, here's what we're dealing with. How do you want to make this work? And then we've had therapists that will decrease hours or, um, and it's kind of crazy, but um, that they come up with their own solutions. So whatever you're doing as a manager, ideally, you're looking, most of us try to generate as an operator um, we try to generate the right answer and hope that it lands with the that clinician. A better way to go about it is to say, hey, here's what our expenses look like. Here's what our revenue looks like. How do you want to handle this? And and get them involved in the, the solution as well. Mary? I know you've... Sorry. Oh, I was just going to jump in and say, I know you've also talked about career pathing and kind of like painting a picture of future growth so that you're helping to turn them more into a leader as opposed to just just another therapist as well. Yeah, exactly. So most of the time, um, I mean, think about the times in your career where you asked for a raise or you asked for some sort of concession. There's usually, it's, you know, I bought a new car last week and I really can't afford it. And now I'm panicked. <laughs> you know, it's something like that, right? So I try to get, um, understand empathetically where they're at. Um, 
on a personal level. And then exactly like you mentioned, Andrea, we show them a career path. Here's where you're at today. This is, you know, how can we get to this point? Um, and we, we share as well. So we have a, a profit sharing model. Um, I'm not sure I can call it profit sharing. Uh, th- essentially, they're they're rewarded for running a more effective, more efficient um, team. I would, the only thing I'd add to that, because she covered that very, very well, is that if you want to avoid paying money back to Medicare, start rewarding your staff for their documentation. Um, Do internal audits, do external audits, and have a benchmark. Above this, there's possible incentives or something. Maybe it's not a monetary incentive. Maybe it's a little more, I don't know, some acknowledgement. Mary, Mary, we've been doing dress down Fridays. Yes. For and and that it it is free. And our so if somebody tries to cancel an appointment on a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, I've literally heard our team say we're not accepting cancellations today, which is hilarious and it works. Um, so they they will go to any measure at all to be able to wear jeans to work on a Friday. And I don't understand Absolutely. it. It's, it is the little things, you know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks. And uh, we have another question uh, from an anonymous. In the state of California, we were advised that we need an order from an MD, otherwise we will not be paid. Is that correct or not? Well, I would have to know who said that to that person. Text, I mean, uh, California, it has direct access. But that doesn't mean every single payer, and, and I'd have to check the, the law in California, whether they're mandated uh, legislatively to accept direct access. But payers have a lot of uh, control of their own payment policy. Um, so that is one thing that you need to look at. Now, if you're talking about for Medicare, Medicare does not require referrals. I know people are saying, what do you mean? They don't require referrals. Some people call them orders. We don't accept orders. We accept referrals. Orders are for people to be told exactly what to do. And same thing for prescriptions. We don't do either of those. We accept referrals. But we don't have to have a referral with Medicare. We do have to have a certified plan of care. And the certified plan of care attests that the physician is the um, the patient is under that physician's uh, care and that they have no objection to the services being delivered as laid out in the plan of care. Thank you, Mary. All right, I'm dropping another question in the chat. This one comes um, from Melissa. Oh wait, is this, I already did this one. So all right, that one we answered. Sorry. How about Sue's? Sue's, yes. I, I really want to answer Sue's question. And thank you, Sue, because I should have made that very clear. Very clear. Splitting a CPT code <laughs> is really what we're talking about. If you, if a PTA does does an exercise, that's that's going to be under them, and they are that's their whole CPT code. You're not having to figure out whether it was 
you know, 10% of what period of time that was done. So we're talking about the CPT code splitting, not a visit splitting. Uh, I probably used the wrong terminology and it's very important that you understand. Uh, you certainly can split a visit, um, but I'm talking about the, the CPT code in that visit. Okay. Great, thank you for that clarification. Okay. Um, Another question from Anonymous. Can you talk about the CMS release uh, CY 2023 proposed rule for services reimbursed under the MPFS? I think that's what this whole program is. I hit the highlights. Um, I'm, maybe they weren't aware that we were going to cover them, but hopefully that they have enough information at this point. They, they might All have right. logged on late, Mary. Is, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll be sharing the recording and the slides after the webinar. Okay, perfect. Okay, um, another question from Kishore. We provide in-home therapy, non-home health as well for Medicare patients. Can your system help with this model? Um, I don't know if this is for Chad or for Mary. It could be both of us. Chad, take away. Yeah, so the, um, what's the setting again? Home health? Home base. Yes. Yeah. Oh so can our system help with that? Do you have a patient list and do you actively market to them? That I would think that any business does, right? Um, so yeah, if it's that from that standpoint, there are tools that we offer that can help that type of business. Yes. And I would think it's just changing the settings. And it's yeah. not, you don't have to adhere to, to home health regulations. It's providing part B in the home. So yes, you're still gonna have to be, uh, you know, doing the same things you do, whether it's in the clinic or whether it's in the home. And we do provide a compliance program specific to part B in home um, for solo providers. So um, yes, that's something that, that our program does. We have kind of a specialized um, you know, partial program that would address that. Great. Um, we just got a question in the chat. No. Can, a can a progress note be done within 60 days for Medicare if notated on plan of care for two to, two to three times a week for eight to 12 weeks since it takes the patient almost two months to perform the 10 visits? You know, I think I answered that question in an email to, from somebody the other day, but uh, a progress report is required every 10th visit or less, okay? There is no calendar day attached to it. So people need to understand every 10th visit or less, there has to be a progress report. It People often confuse it with the duration of a plan of care uh, certification, which is 90 days. So you may ha not have 10 visits in that 90 days. You still will have to recertify because you're required to at 90 days, but you don't have to do a progress report until you hit the 10th visit. Got it. Thank you. Okay. We had a question submitted in advance of the webinar, so it's possible that it was already answered by your slides, um, but it was, how do I handle my PTAs if the cut further decreases their reimbursement? Uh, 
you know, how do you handle them? Well, again, there were some points. Uh, if there, if and most likely there will be some, unless we can be really, really good advocates and prove to them via the slides, inflation's killing us and going to kill us more with reductions. But uh, the question about what do you do with your PTAs, I hope you're not suggesting that you would um, terminate them. Uh, I think that one of the things that we have to look at is where can we gain some efficiencies? PTAs understand the business of providing service to patients. So if you find this is throwing you lopsided as far as finances, there are so many things that you need a clinician uh, to do that, uh, you know, there's just a lot of things in compliance. You know, they could be in charge of your OSHA. Um, they could be your OSHA police. They could be your HIPAA police. They could monitor a number of things. You need that, that uh, clinical skill set, but it is not as costly as having a PT in it. Again, but they have to have a sense of authority recognized by the rest of the staff. Um, and I think, again, trying to um, capitalize on their skill sets and their efficiencies. All right, I'm going to ask one more question. We have um, two more minutes here and I'll drop this in the chat. It's from Anna. Um, so I'll let you guys read it there instead of me reading the whole thing out loud. Patient self-refers, this is Medicare in California. If we do an evaluation and continue with the 10 sessions that Medicare allows, what should a provider do if the patient tells us whom their provider is, but the provider doesn't sign the plan of care? We can continue therapy, but how can we get reimbursed for treatments already rendered? I can tell you what I do in that situation. <laughs> that will go. Uh, send them to another provider. Um, we, Yeah, so I'm assuming it's the family physician. Um, we send to all, so if there's an orthopodist, involved, if there's a rheumatologist involved, we carbon copy to everybody. Um, and if that all fails, uh, there are urgent cares everywhere. And we'll frequently refer to um, the, we'll explain the situation to the patient. How do you want us to handle this? You know, we'll explain what we need done. We get the patient on our side, right? Not that it's a war between us and the, the family physician who won't sign. And we'll say, here's, here's your options. What do you want to do? And that tends to work out really well. Sorry, Mary, go ahead. No, that's fine. I'm not sure I understood the question that way. Was it, I don't know if it's Medicare or not Medicare? It is Medicare. It is Medicare. Okay, so with Medicare, first of all, physicians have to comply with Medicare regulations. So the physician really is in trouble if he doesn't do that. And I have seen physicians cited, but um, you don't wanna be the one to turn them in because they'll never be a source of business again. Um, but then you might not want that source of business. Now, uh, this is this is an absolute. And if you want this link, you can contact Alicia. There is something called, um, oh, she's, I'm going blank. Uh, well. Delay plan of care? Pardon? Delay plan of care? No, 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 no. So when patients 
uh, are seen by a physician, he refuses to sign under part B, not part A, so not a rehab agency, the patient assumes the financial liability. When they assume that financial liability, it's gonna, you know, because it it is, oh, excuse me, there it goes, technical denial. A technical denial is there is no signed plan of care. So hello, patient. And first of all, you shouldn't really tell your patients, we do operate under a plan of care. We need to have that plan of care signed in a timely manner by your doctor. It's indicating blah, blah, blah. That way you will not be responsible for payment. So doctor refuses to sign, you call your patient, you say, he refused to sign. I'm so sorry, we'll be sending you a statement. The patient will be on the phone that moment with the doctor. Now he will hate you, but um, the bottom line is the patient will get that plan of care signed unless he's dead. We've had a lot of doctors die this year. I'm not kidding. We can't terrible. get it signed because they died. <laughs> you know, uh, that sounds awful, but that's the bottom line. It's called technical denial. It is written in the Medicare benefit policy manual. If you want to snip it on that, we'll be glad to send it to you. Just contact Alicia. Awesome. Well, we, we are at the top of the hour. Um, how about some love for Mary and Alicia and uh, bringing us all the information, uh, 27 different links. I think Alicia put in the <laughs> put in there. Um, she provided her email address, phone number, the whole deal. Uh, make sure you give them lots of love and uh, thank you for for doing this, Andrea. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you both, and thank you, Chad, as well. Thank I think we got Chad. to we got to most of the questions, but if we did not, um, please feel free to email us um, your question. Alicia, do you want to just drop yours into the chat one more time? Yeah. And I will answer any questions that are directed to me that have been submitted, let's just say within the last, you know, an hour, hour and 15 minutes. This won't, can't go on forever though. <laughs> we did charge for services. <laughs> did you, okay, thank you so much. Mary, did you say, did you uh -huh. say that you have time to stay on or no? Pardon? I have another call that I have to hop on, but, um, yeah. so I'm going to, I'm, I'm hopping off, but good luck guys. All right. We'll, we'll call it and we'll respond to questions by email. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a good one. Have Bye -bye. a good one. Thank you. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, Make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.